All right, so uh, today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Um, you know, obviously we've been going through Genesis, and the, the title of the, the series is God and Man. And I just want to remind us that we need to, uh, this time as we're going through Genesis, I'd like to think of it as Genesis telling us how everything came to be as relevant to man from God's perspective. That as we read Genesis, this is what God wants us to know. I mean, I know that applies to the whole Bible, but something that's been sticking out to me a lot through this is that this is stuff that God wants us to know. God wants us to know these things as knowledge in a way and as history in a way, but he really wants us to know him through it. And that's an awesome notebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's important to read Genesis in the Bible as it is. That it's a truthful telling of, uh, of God what man needs to know. That God told us this, that yeah, man wrote it, but God inspired it. God gave these events to be written down. Uh, we saw uh, creation from above. Uh, I can't hear myself think of that often. You guys uh, okay with the fan? Yeah. Uh, it's hot. Cool. It's hot yeah. But we saw creation from above. We saw that God created and God said in chapter 1 it was this zoomed out view of creation. Um you know, it's the word God was used. And then we saw creation up close in chapter 2. It said the Lord God made. We got to know God's name, Yahweh. And we saw him a little more intimately uh, making things, making Adam and Eve. Uh, but today we're going to go along on the last day in the garden. On the last day in the garden. And today, today's message in Genesis 3 is the Lord God called. The Lord God called. Um, and I've been trying to keep these shorter, but I think this one is going to go a little bit longer, so my apologies, but I did not want to, I did not want to cut it short. I, did not, I felt as I was studying it that to get through the whole chapter would convey a better message than chopping it somewhere in the middle. We might miss uh, the bigger picture, and, and prayerfully we'll, uh, we'll see a bigger and better picture this, uh, this morning. Uh, but Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are our Lord God, that we know your name and your son's name. And that, God, you're not a nameless, faceless God uh, who's distant or aloof. God, you're close to us. Like the song said, God, you, you come to where we are. God, you find us where we are. And, God, this morning, where we're here, we're here in this house. God, physically, would you find us here? But spiritually, God, wherever we're at this morning, please find us. Please make us new. And please uh, just speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we want to meet with you. Amen. Let's start off, we're going to get real far right away, but we're going to read the first part of uh, verse 1 in chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And we'll stop it right there. Um, we Right off, you know, as we're believers, we know that this is the devil. We know that this picture of the serpent in the scripture uh, pictures the devil. You know, we, uh, we know uh, in other things when Jesus would say, Get behind me, Satan. You know, this whole thing is very obviously uh, the devil. But if we look at it right away, we see that it's a serpent. You know, God wants to turn our attention here to the serpent. We've seen God doing things and God making things, but now uh, God says through the scripture, he says, now the serpent. We've seen all these other things. Now we need to talk about something else. We need to talk about a specific creature uh, in creation. And, uh, you know, it's like when I tell my kids about dangerous things. I tell my kids about snakes because we have snakes on the property. You know, they're just garter snakes, so they're not really dangerous. But, you know, maybe there's a mock water moccasin. There's, there's water up the street. I don't know. Um, maybe there's a rattlesnake in the area. We're by the woods. But, you know, you tell them about lions. 
I tell them about cars in the parking lot. You know, you got to hold my hand more in the parking lot. You know, this isn't the funnest thing to talk about, but I need to tell you that these things are out there. Um, and we see here that this word serpent it obviously means serpent, which is obviously can mean a snake. It also can mean an image of a snake, as we see through scripture, like serpent on the brass pole. It also, this word is also used for um, sort of an idol, um, but it also can be used as a mythological creature. Um, which is interesting. Uh, and, you know, the Bible has the law of first mention. And we see that snakes always represent the enemy, evil, sin, and its nature throughout the Bible. You know, we talk about serpent on the pole, uh, John the Baptist calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, etc. There's lots of pictures throughout scripture of serpents. But it's interesting that it's used as a mythological creature in some context. You know, I, I don't want to go uh, read too much into it or go off the farm too far, but really think about dinosaurs or dragons, etc. Um, you know, that there's this connotation there, this mythological uh, creature. You know, like I said, there's snakes in my yard. You know, uh, there, I've seen snakes uh, when I was going hiking years ago. I need to go hiking again. Uh, when I was at the pastor's conference, there were a couple snakes sticking their heads out of the water out, on, out by the rocks. Um, and they didn't seem too scared of me. So I said, okay, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> they were kind of poking up and looking. I didn't know if they were poisonous or not. You know, you never know. So I'd rather not find out that way. <laughs> But he says, uh, God says about the serpent, he says that he's more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. You know, this word cunning is subtle, shrewd, crafty, sly, sensible in a way. You know, sometimes, you know, a crafty person can be sensible. Jesus says to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. That there's a wisdom in being kind of crafty about a deal as long as you're not, you know, being sinful. Like, you know, when you go to purchase a car or a home or anything that you can kind of even when you're buying something on Amazon, you shop around to find the one that's got the lowest price, and, you know, there's a wisdom in that. Um, but I think a lot of times, you know, obviously this, this wasn't a good craftiness. This craftiness was used in a sly way. You know, a snake slithers through the grass and sneaks up and finds its prey and latches onto them. It's got to be very sly, a lot of, like a lot of predatory animals. Um, but I think a lot of times we get duped by the subtleties in life. You know, when we're reading the contract or something, maybe it's a, a rental agreement or a job agreement or a, a lease or whatever it is, uh, we, 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 maybe we miss what the lines are really saying in that contract. Uh, maybe those things said in the advertisement, uh, but we miss the things that aren't said in that advertisement. Like, how long is it going to last? Or it has this catch to it. Or, you know, you just fill out a form on a website and then it's got a terms of service and it's 80 pages long and... And no one reads those, <laughs> you know, but I'm sure there's some subtleties in there that really are crafty to keep uh, the, the one offering the agreement out of harm's way uh, at all way possible. Um, you know, even the sense of on a relationship scale, the words of someone who's seducing us, uh, buttering us up, whether it's for a, a romantic relationship or whether it's, you know, a friendship or you meet someone, you know, uh, I was talking to my dad on the phone yesterday about cars. My dad's been a car dealer like his whole life. He, he's a like a he does some, he works he's like a manager now, I guess, of a landscaping company. I forget his title, but he oversees all the the day to day operations, and he likes it. It's totally different than what he used to do, and he really likes it. Um, but he was we were talking about going to a car dealer. I'm like, I hate going to a car dealer because you have to deal with them. And he goes, Yeah, you, you walk in the door, and they've got a, everyone's got a smile on their face, but watch out because they've got a knife in their pocket. I said, don't worry, Dad, I'm carrying two. <laughs> but sincerely, that's the thing. It's, you know, hey, it's a new sale. Come on, let's get them. You know, you, not that all car dealers are bad, but, you know, there's ulterior motives there. They're there to sell you a car, and if they can be super friendly to sell you a car and get you to 
get that extra tire shine package that you don't need, you know. That is what it is. But I think with all these things, we don't see it until it's too late sometimes. Just like when you're walking up on a snake in the path. You know, I was mowing the lawn the other day, a couple weeks ago actually, when this happened. And all of a sudden a snake darted out in front. It was a garter. I guess the grass was kind of tall and it was hiding there and the mower came and it, and it spooked it. Or when, uh, I think of a youth trip years ago, we were hiking up um, somewhere around here. And uh, all of a sudden we stopped because there was a snake on the path. But you didn't see it until you got right up on it. And usually that's the case. You don't see the snake until it gets you. But it's interesting that for the beasts, on a scale of shrewdness, you know, where you've got one to ten, you know, uh, zero might be a sloth or a sheep, the most shrewd would be the snake. That there is this scale here, and he says, God says, above all the other creatures, the serpent is cunning. And this word beast just means living thing of the field, you know, but it was on day six creations just before man. But picture this. There's a sly snake. Maybe he's in the grass, maybe he's curling up on this tree, or uh, as we're about to see, but there's a snake there, and he's very cunning. And let's go on, let's read uh, the rest of verse 1 through verse 7. It says, um, And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard word there, so, after all that, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Let's do a little thinking here. Maybe Eve sees the tree. Maybe she sees the fruit. Maybe she goes in for a closer look when a snake, you know? All of a sudden, the snake appears. But she doesn't freak out. She doesn't get scared. You know, it's before the fall, so, you know, animals are kind of romping around and there's happy time music playing, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the same. But instead, she listens to this snake speak to her. You know, like I said, maybe it was in the grass and they got into a conversation and they began walking closer and closer to the tree as they talked about it. But isn't the serpent the one who hangs around us near the stuff we shouldn't do and begin to call to us? You know, think of things like the seedy side of town. You know, anything really like that. You know, maybe you, pro- you probably don't go there. I guarantee you don't go there on purpose, but you probably know where it is. You probably know where you could go find crack if you, or guess where you would find crack if you really wanted it, or some sort of uh, 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 sexual sin. You probably know where it is, and you don't even have to think about it. You know, just because we become aware of these things, just by the nature of the way the world works, we, we notice these things. We see the way the neighborhoods are. But maybe you're not really tempted to do it. But maybe if you started driving through that neighborhood, maybe a little curious to how prevalent it was, maybe you'd slow down. And maybe that's when the serpent would speak to you. Oh, just pull in over here. Oh, I don't know. I could think of getting alcohol in Patterson in college. And, you know, we weren't 21 yet. So we knew where, through the grapevine, we knew where there was a place that would sell it to us illegally. 
And as we went there, we get out of the car, right away I'm offered crack and pot. I'm like, oh, no thanks. <laughs> Just here for alcohol. But that's sort of the way it is. You know, I wouldn't have been offered that stuff if I was at ShopRite. Hopefully not. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, as soon as you begin to go and that where you're not supposed to go, all of a sudden these temptations and these uh, opportunities for wrong begin to pop up. But here we see that the most cunning, the subtle, the crafty creature tempts Eve. You know, sin hasn't happened yet. Sin is our acting out on the temptation, on the test. You know, because Jesus was tempted, and it certainly wasn't sin, sin for him to be. You know, he resisted, but he resisted with God's word. And we here see that Eve did not resist with God's word. Eve offered up God's word to Satan for the interpretation. You know, the serpent craftily, subtly, uncuttingly turns God's word around on Eve, like a snake slithering around a tree branch. He takes it and he twists it around. You know, he says, is that what God said? Is that what God really meant by what he told you? You know, I think that that's what begins to happen when we don't heed God's word for us. When we end up hearing the voice of the enemy leading us into doubts about what God has really said. Perhaps not even doubts about the wording of what God said. Maybe we know that scripture by heart, but Satan comes in and begins to twist it. Um, and I think that that's Eve's next mistake, is getting into the dialogue with the serpent. Um, you know, there's a lot of cults in the area. I'm really surprised by it. All these new cults since we've come back. Uh, I, Ashley was at the supermarket, and I was at Walmart, and we both got approached by cults. I think I was at the other store the other day uh, for Memorial Day, and uh, someone came up to me. He's like, we have a seminar tomorrow. And I'm like, I've, I've got a Memorial Day thing going on. <laughs> Uh, but this is what they do. Except you're not in the forbidden fruit aisle, you're in the snack aisle. Maybe that is my forbidden fruit. I don't know. Maybe I should, maybe I should have been in the produce section. I don't know. Maybe that was my first problem. But sincerely, that's the way it works. They begin to come in and they, they begin to twist it around. And it's interesting that Eve quotes back to, to the serpent here what God had said. And the last part of it is the consequence. She finishes out with the consequences, lest you die. And by reading chapter 2, we see that God is the one who told Adam these words before Eve was created from his side. And perhaps it was Adam who relayed God's words to Eve. Maybe, maybe God never said these words specifically to Eve. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what their dialogues were like when they hung out. But just from a plain reading, that's what we see, that God spoke to Adam, and now we see uh, or the serpent testing Eve about what God had said. And she gets it right. She gets the memory verse 100 for 100. She gets gold star for the day for reciting it. But perhaps Eve never took what she heard to be God's word back to God to verify it. Like Paul says in Acts, or it was spoken of Paul, it says, uh, Luke rather uh, writing it, but it says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews, and these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And because of that, the scripture says, Therefore, many of them believed, and not also a few of the Greeks, but prominent women and men as well, that they heard the word of God ready, readily, but then they tested the word of God with God himself in their personal relationship. They went back and said, what does the scripture say? Is this what the scripture means? Is this what the entire counsel of God says about this issue? What is the bigger picture here? To not take this out of context. And what was the fruit of that? Not a cult, 
but true salvation, true conversion, true belief among all those who practice it. And I say that we need to do that. When we hear God's word, whether it's in our own time or whether it's in a message or whether it's from a friend or whether it's from somebody at the snack aisle while you're just trying to get some Doritos, to test it. To say, well, okay, this is what you're saying the scripture means, but the scripture also says this over here and over here. I mean, we look at the way uh, Jesus handled temptation in the desert. He said, well, but God also says this. Don't tempt the Lord your God. You know, he handled it with the whole counsel of God. He didn't just get there and, and a debate about semantics about one verse because that's dangerous. That can be dangerous. But she had knowledge. She had head knowledge. But perhaps it hadn't become heart knowledge yet. Perhaps she hadn't yet meditated on it. I don't mean that. You've got to be careful with that word nowadays because people take meditation to mean Eastern meditation. It just means to think on it, chew on it, consider it. Um, let it, you know, go down. But perhaps she hadn't done that yet. And then there was wiggle room, just like a snake would wiggle in there, underneath of it in her soul. She's got this hat of knowledge on, but in her heart there's this empty space where it hasn't yet taken residence. She hadn't digested it yet. It hadn't become part of her being. And the serpent, being very cunning, strikes in that opportunity, and he quickly strikes on that last word. I picture it, her saying here, um, uh, in the end of verse 3, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And I think right away, then the serpent said to her, you will not surely die. Like right away, he pounced on that last part. He pounces on what? Not what God had said, but the consequence of what God had said. Not the, the facts of what God said, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, but what would happen because of their obedience or disobedience to that. And he doesn't focus on the blessing. He doesn't focus on the instruction. He doesn't say how great it is that there are zillions of other trees in their garden that they can eat from any other tree they can eat. He just strikes and attacks the one thing that they have not seen with their eyes yet, something that they've been taking on faith up until this point, the consequence of their actions. And consequences are a big deal, guys. I know you know that. But what do we always think? What do we always think about consequences? Oh, it won't. It can't happen to me. Uh, No, it's it's not. It's going to happen to somebody else. It's not going to happen to me. Just this once. No big deal. No one's going to see it. Oh, I'll be careful. (laughs) It won't happen. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't the first time. So you do it again. But maybe not as carefully this time. And still nothing. And again, and again, and again. And each time we have less resolve and less fear of the consequence Maybe that consequence is a delayed consequence. Maybe you won't find out for years that you have an STD or AIDS. Maybe, maybe it'll take years for it to reap its fruit in your life, in your family, in your children, in your friends, in your job. You know, maybe it'll take a long time for that to bear uh, witness in your life. Maybe it takes a long time for cancer to come. You know, you smoke that first cigarette, you don't get cancer right away. You know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get cancer, but, you know, it's going to take some time for that consequence to happen. And when it does, it's... it's it's probably too late. But First Timothy 4, 1-3 through 3 says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And it's interesting that this verse mentions how it starts. It starts by departing from 
the faith, departing from what you believe in, and giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And what's the consequences of that? No marriage. That's what Adam and Eve's first covering was, in a sense, in their relationship, was that they were married, they were created for each other, right? But not eating certain foods. It's almost like there's this theme here, this guilt-driven theme of, hey, uh, not eating certain foods. Remember, that was God's first commandment, don't eat one type of food. But what happens? We twist that into all these other things. Um, you know, and it came from a deceiving spirit. You know, I think there's so many parallels here of this verse just explaining what happened here with Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent. You know, we try and teach our kids about consequence, that obedience leads to life and disobedience to death, like Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. But consequences are huge. They're important, and we need to learn those in our life before we see them, before we experience them. It's better to take the fact that consequence comes by faith than by saying, oh, well, we'll see when we get there. You know, with the foundational twist of the consequence, the serpent begins to wrap himself around Eve's mind, twisting God's intentions, the heart of the matter, but still telling the truth. Still telling the truth that they're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. We'll see that later. God even acknowledges that, that in a way they become like God, but they don't have the power of God, so there is a consequence there. You know, you can't be God if you're not God. Um, you know, I was... I don't normally watch The Simpsons anymore, but I was slipping through, and the Simps- I found this episode of The Simpsons, and uh, Homer's boss, Mr. Burns, is away, and he takes his parking spot, and he goes, I'm in his parking spot. If I can do his parking spot, that means I can live the rest of his life. And so he goes about, like, he has the guy change the picture of Mr. Burns to him. He's in his office. He's doing all these things. He, go, he opens the door. He's like, oh, I don't want to go in there. And then later on, you know, he's, he's trying to play golf in Mr. Burns' office. And uh, Mr. Burns comes back, and he, Homer does this thing. And then all of a sudden, he, he, like, he falls through a trap door in the floor because <laughs> you're not Mr. Burns. You're getting kicked out, you know. It, you can't be there. That's a silly example, but that's the same thing, you know, just... We can't pretend to do things of someone more powerful than us and expect it to last forever, expect us to be able to maintain that office and hold that office without consequence. But they know God because they know, uh, they know God because they know God, and I typed this pretty late, but what God has provided for them with what God's word is, you know, they have both his word internally. Uh, I don't know what I mean by this sentence, I apologize. <laughs> They have God's word, right? God told them the truth about the Garden of Eden. They can see the Garden of Eden, how good it is. They have a relationship with God. They walk with God. They know him face to face. But they don't know the consequences, so they have, to, they, have to deal, they have to believe God for that. And the evidence that they should is because everything else is good. There's no subtlety. There's no craftiness in what God had given them. And they have that relationship there. But they, they don't yet personally, intimately know evil. That would be the result of the consequence, knowing good, which they know already, they know good, they know God, but they don't yet know intimately evil. Uh, They knew the possibility of it through the disobedience, that the result of evil, knowing evil, would be death. But they don't really understand death yet. They haven't really taken it by faith, you know. um, Think of our kids, like, we can tell them, like, if you get hit by a car or, you know, something, a lion attacks you, you're going to die, but they don't really grasp that yet. You know, it's something that... Even as adults, we struggle with understanding. You know, we grieve through it, understandably. And I don't think that we're ever really supposed to understand it because we're never supposed to understand death that way 
in the beginning. We're only supposed to know life, good in life, but uh, because of sin, we do. Uh, but E's faith here is twisted. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, you know. Satan begins to twist what her faith is built on and the way her faith plays out. Originally it played out, she wasn't going to eat from the tree, but we see that she eats from the tree. But you know, God knows both. He knows exactly what it will be like if they sinned. He's the beginning and the end. He knows what the cross would entail. He knows the ultimate effect of evil and what's going to happen there. It's like, as a programmer and a designer uh, by trade, I know what's going to happen specifically if you change a couple lines of code. Someone who's not a, a programmer may not understand why it happens, but they just, why do I have a blue screen of death? Or why does this website not load? What is this for for me? I know the inner workings of it. And I think that's the same way with God. God knows the inner workings of how everything works. And he knows what death was going to be like. He's the beginning and the end. He had, you know, I don't want to get into the whole space-time continuum thing, but I think God, God knew what the cross felt like. God knew what heaven was going to be like, and yet he still did all these things because he's not, he's not limited by time like we are. But he's capable of handling it without a permanent consequence of death. Jesus handled sin on the cross. Yes, it killed him, but it didn't kill him forever. He came back to life, and he lives eternally. The consequence for him eternally is having scars on his hand, but the rewards for him is having us in heaven. He's not held down by sin. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? But I think that's adulthood in a way, maturity for us in a simpler sense is that's what it really is. Being an adult, being mature, is doing the right thing and being aware of the consequence of the wrong thing and not doing the wrong thing because you're aware of the consequence. It's being able to handle something dangerous, but it's only dangerous because it's powerful. Um, and it's not even necessarily wrong. God knows about evil, but he's not evil, right? But he handles things in a proper manner, and that's what we need to do as adults. When James and I went to the hunter safety course, they kept saying muzzle control, muzzle control, muzzle control, muzzle is the end of the gun. You always want to have control of the end of the gun. Whatever you do, you want control of the end of the gun. Because if it accidentally goes off, if you have the control of the end of the gun, it's going to go off in a safe direction. Uh, you know, and there's never really an accident there. It's a, you know, there's, we'll get into that. But sincerely, that's one of the things. You know, I've never been hit by a car, but I understand the consequences. I, I can imagine what it's like for a big giant piece of metal, force equals mass times acceleration, flying down the highway hitting a soft body. I mean, we've all seen what looks like uh, shredded beef on the highway because a semi hit a deer, you know? I don't need to experience that to know what it's about. Uh, maybe an EMT would know even more gory details, but think about that. For things like marriage, things like sex, like driving, like firearms, cooking, plugging things in, crossing the street, the list goes on. All these things are very powerful it's used in the right way, in the right relationship, the right tool, the right activity, and with the right knowledge. But they're absolutely dangerous, and they end in serious injury or even death if not handled properly or correctly. That's why we put these plastic things in all the outlets so one of the kids doesn't get, you know, give us an extra second while they're trying to jam that fork in there, you know? And thankfully we teach them about these things, and they haven't been so silly as my knowledge to try that. But really, with all these things, it just takes one slip just takes one slip with that screwdriver plugging that thing and you know Ashley had her curling iron next to the sink this morning plugged in and it's like there's a little lip and I'm brushing my teeth and I'm brushing my teeth and the water's filling up and I'm brushing my teeth looking at it and I'm going oh that could fall in that could fall in no, I'm, brushing. I'm like alright I need to take this off the counter because all it takes is boop, one little slip and how often do we do that with other things like you put something else on the sink and you go it won't fall in it won't and it's in and I'm like I know that's going to happen 
But back to Eve, it says that this was enough to convince her. It's good to eat. Look at it. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is enough to convince her here. She hadn't eaten it, but she'd made her own judgment call about whether it was good or not. She, she decided to say, well, God said this, but I'm looking at it now, and I'm going, I don't know. It looks pretty darn good to eat. It looks pretty delicious. So she's now looking at it with the serpent's eyes instead of God's eyes. Instead of God's word in her conscience, she has the serpent's word in her conscience. And that changes the color of everything entering in her soul through her eyes. Her worldview has been completely changed. An inception, so to speak, like the movie Inception. A replacement of God's definition of God's word with the serpent's definition of God's word. Matthew 6, 23-23, Jesus says, The lamp of the body is what? The eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that, you, that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the light that is in you is darkness, your darkness is great. The light, the knowledge, the wisdom, well, her wisdom is not wisdom anymore. Her wisdom is craftiness, is subtleness, is something to get her caught up. You know, we look through the, the past sometimes with rose-colored glasses. Oh, wasn't it better when I was with so-and-so or I was doing such-and-such? And wasn't it, you know? No, it wasn't. That's why you're not doing it anymore. It was awful. <laughs> That's why you got saved. You know, God, God said it wasn't good, but now seeing it for herself in front of her, she goes, yeah, it's good to eat. You know, look at the world we live in now. Full of things being called good, moral, wholesome, safe, right, natural, good to, fill in the blank, even though we haven't yet fully experienced the consequence of these things which we now call good, which we used to call evil not too long ago. Think of the eating the fruit in the 1960s is now bearing tons of death today because all those hippies had kids and look at how their kids turned out. All those hippies are in office and they don't even know who's president anymore. Uh, but let, um, another current event, which will be a hot topic for some people, is letting in people by the droves in Europe is now bearing fruit by more and more terrorist attacks. I'm not saying one way or the other, but I'm saying that there are terrorists coming into Europe unvetted. And it's letting these little things into our lives now that leads to bigger consequence later. You may not notice the effect right away. It may take some time. Adam and Eve will see notice the effect right away. But, you know, Galatians 5.9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, there's a little, a little air in the AC system, and I was charging AC systems yesterday. I know I got a little air in my wife's uh, before I figured out how to use a certain bleeder valve. Um, and so it's always in the back of my mind, all right, eventually it might get warm enough to do it again. So it's, it's always there. But as soon as you let that little thing in, it's always going to be there, right? As soon as we let Alicia in here, she's always going to be there, right? You know, but it says that it's desirable to make one wise, you know? But fruit, really, like fruit rots pretty quickly, right? Fruit, you take it out, it looks good, you take a bite of it, and turn around, and then it's all brown because you took a bite out of it. But it says that it was desirable to make one wise, and... The fruit didn't do that. The fruit didn't make one wise, but that's what the serpent convinced her of, that it was going to make her wise. You know, you're foolish for believing God. There's a whole other world out there, Eve. Don't believe what God said. He's just limiting you from experiencing everything. You know, but Proverbs 9.10, you know, well, what really is wisdom is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, it's not self-discovery. It's not philosophy. It's not questioning everything. Although, go ahead, I challenge you, question everything in Scripture. It can't be beat. There are no plot holes. You know, people criticize movies all the time for all plot holes. You know, well, 
there's no plot holes in the scripture, no matter what, how you bring it to me, we'll, we'll talk about it. But she didn't fear God. She didn't fear God. The one thing that wisdom is based on is fearing God. And she didn't fear him. So what happens? She immediately becomes foolish. You know, Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. All they say is that there is no God. And that's all he's basically said. Well, God said this, and if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he said this, then it would be true. But if it's not true, God is not all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, so he must, he's not God. He's not God, then. And you can trace this back to a lot of little mistakes. You know, James and I had a barbecue there, and it was awesome. And we were talking about some workplace accidents, and it's always a bunch of little mistakes that add up and happen at the same time. This guy was not paying attention. This guy was doing what he shouldn't have been doing. This thing got mixed the way it shouldn't have got mixed, and... Boom, all of a sudden it all comes together, and we can look at that in all our lives. You know, you get in the car wreck, generally you don't just drive off the side of the road. It's, well, oh, the, the phone rang, so you reach down, and, oh, you, uh, you haven't changed your tires, and they're bald, and you, it blows, and then, you, you, know, you know, it's like all these little things happen at once. You know, she was looking at the tree. She was going near the tree. She was not running from the snake. She started listening to the snake. She started talking to the snake. She started taking the snake's advice. It's like, it's not even like, you know, this is some Disney movie where she's talking to animals. She's taking the animal's advice. You know, we were looking at a, a, a woodchuck out there the other day. I'm not taking no animal's advice. <laughs> I gotta eat that. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, just because my dog likes it doesn't mean I'm gonna like it. But she takes, she shouldn't do, she ate, and then she gave to her husband, who says, the scripture says, was with her. It's not like he was like, oh, hey, Eve, how's it going? Oh, that looks good, thank you. He was there the whole time, like, snake's talking, Eve's talking to the snake. She's looking pretty good. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll eat. <laughs> you know, seriously, Adam? You know, I mean, it reminds me a lot of communion here. She, she gave her husband eight. It's like communion in reverse. But Adam, really, you were there? You know, it's like she didn't sneak it into his lunch. You know, like, it wasn't like, oh, it's, my kids reveal their lunches and call it surprise. You know, oh, peanut butter. But man, the, the influence of a beautiful woman who pays attention to you is very strong. You know, is it any wonder that the enemy uses uh, sex, women, lust, nudity to sell, to change minds? It's very powerful. Very powerful. You know, all this stuff that, that targets young girls and uh, changes the way young girls behave and believe and dress. You know what that does? It affects all the young men. Because if all the young men are seeing all the young girls doing this, it drags them off. And it does other things. You know, I value my wife's influence towards godliness in me. Points? Cool. But man, but man if, if we're not paying attention to God, sincerely, if we're not paying attention to God and obeying Him, we quickly lead each other away from the Lord in the wrong direction. Even if it's a direction together. You know, Eve really thought she was foolish, thought she was missing wisdom here. Maybe because Adam told her what God said and her feminist side was showing. You know, it was just man who told you that. It can't be true. You can't trust your husband. Maybe she didn't have that deep... You know, maybe they just met. They didn't really trust him yet. But Adam, did you not believe? You know, did Adam not believe? There's sin and transgression here, guys. Eve sins. She was deceived. Um... You know, perhaps this creature of God was sent to show her the full truth, but a snake? You know, maybe she thought, oh, this is God's creatures. God's creatures not going to lie to me, right? But they're, they're not made in, in, in God's image. God sends his image to send his message 
to us. He ultimately did that through Jesus. Jesus is the invisible image of the invisible God. He sends that. He sent that message to us. But he also uses man. And I don't mean man. He can use man and woman, but you know, through the Bible, we see uh, a lot of different roles offered by both. But we're both made in God's image, and that's how God's going to speak to us a lot of times through the Scripture, but through a man or woman of God who not only is made in the image of God as a human, but also made into the likeness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. That that's where God's message is going to come from. You know, God. You know, God's word is going to come out of a lot of people's mouths, but if their lives don't look like God's life, it's not God's message for you. It might be God's word, but it's not God's mention, uh, message, or intention for you. You know, here we see that uh, Adam was fully aware again. You know, maybe he just wanted to be liked by her. Whatever it took, I don't know what he was thinking. I can guess. But it didn't kick in until they both ate. There was a bit of a delay there. You know, like sin is fun for a season. You know, the snake didn't eat from the tree. I mean, maybe he did. He's in it. But God didn't tell the snake not to eat of it. You know, the animals are just to be fruitful and multiply. Their role is different. God told Adam and Eve not to eat from certain trees. The animals just eat. So maybe she's chewing. Maybe maybe he's taking a bite. You know, you hear that crunchy, delicious. Maybe it's an apple. Just thinking of an apple here. Sound. Maybe he chews a little faster. Mm, you know, I want to chew this. It's really good. Maybe they both swallow. And then, oh, wait a minute. Something's not right. Something's not right. Ever eat something bad and then you weren't so sure when you opened it and you just kind of gave it a try and then you get and you're like, oh, that probably was not a good idea. <laughs> and that's what happens here. They, they go, I don't know if they said it, but they both knew, it says, that they were naked. They both knew. You know, like in a dream, something's going on, you know, it's fun, and then stuff all of a sudden gets to get weird. And you, you know, wait a minute, this isn't real. And then you wake up, you know, you realize this is a dream. You know, they realize in their minds, we're naked. They both knew, you know. Uh, if you guys have ever seen Back to the Future 2, uh, they're in the future, and she walks out the door and, as her young self and crosses by her old self, and they both go, Ah! I'm old! I'm young! And they both collapse. It's like this dual realization at the same moment. Wait, something is off here. You know, the eyes of both of them were open. You know, there was a dimension they could not yet see. You know, they talk about advanced mathematicians and children being able to conceptualize multiple dimensions. You know, certain people have studied Genesis and come up with ten dimensions, and math kind of supports that. But really here, we're seeing that there is a spiritual world that's hidden from our eyes. You know, the Bible talks about our eyes being opened, our spiritual eyes being opened when we come to faith. Um, that, you know, that behind, above, beneath our universe, there is a spiritual world going on. Even we see in the spiritual world, there's a gap fixed between heaven and hell that no one can cross, um, except the Lord. But immediately... Uh, you know, they ran around, and they got fig leaves, and they sewed them. You know, so sewing was the first invention, perhaps, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if they invented anything in the Garden of Eden, but they sewed. They had an idea how to put this together. Um, you know, and, and what, what inspired that, that necessity? Sin. Sin. You know, the Bible talks about man seeking out many inventions. You know, it's because there's always some sin, result of sin, we want to cover up. You know, we make a microwave because, man... Using an oven just takes too long, and that's our sin nature. We don't want to work. And we invented an oven because, man, uh, keeping a fire steady is hard work. you got to cut down a tree. I'd rather just turn it on, you know? It's always like we just don't want the effects of sin in our life, so we try and make things easier and easier. Not that I am against microwaves or anything, you know, if I know how to use them. <laughs> that's about all I know. Uh, you know, and they didn't do a very good job of it. And I think even if they did, the material covering them was wholly inadequate to cover up their nakedness and their shame. 
you know, even if it covered their outward parts effectively, the word there is like a loincloth, so maybe they just had time to make, you know, a little uh, speedo or something, I don't know. So maybe it was just adequate to keep it decent, but really it wasn't adequate enough to cover their mind and their heart and their spirit. And I think about the coverings we make for ourselves after we sin, or after maybe we remember before we knew the Lord, you know, maybe we washed our hands, maybe we took long, cold showers of just for whatever reason, you know. Maybe just emotionally we wanted to feel washed. Maybe we cover up. Maybe we wear our sunglasses in time. You see these movie stars wear sunglasses all the time. You know, they're covering something up. Maybe they stay in the dark. Maybe you don't answer your phone. Maybe you withdraw from relationships, etc., etc. You're covering. You don't, want it. you don't want your sin to be exposed. But what does the world say now? It says, come out of there. Come out of that dark area. You don't need to hide your sin in there anymore. You can be your sin. Your sin can define you. You can be whatever you want, you know. And then we begin to uh, take all sorts of flaky ideas, which are sewn together in a loose tapestry, and that covering is equally as inadequate. Oh, it's just who you are. Oh, it's natural. Oh, you can be whatever you want. Oh, there's no sin. There's no God. You're evolved. And it's all these loose ideas that when you really look at, they don't hold up, but yet we sew them together to cover ourselves. And really, the first covering that they had, Adam and Eve have, was the Word of God. It covered their conscience. It prevented their conscience from the weight of sin and the effect of sin of being exposed. It covered them. It meant to protect them and keep them. And Romans, you know, Romans 1, 20-25, telling this doesn't sum up these events. You know, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, God was revealing... I can know good and evil, and it's not going to affect me for evil. But you, it's going to kill. He reveals something about himself there. In verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. He wasn't thankful. Oh, there's this one fruit I can't eat, but I have all this other fruit. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, that's what Eve wanted to do, she became a fool. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of the image, excuse me, made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, the snake. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They realized their body was naked, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature, the serpent, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And normally I'd want to close about here, but I want to see how much further we can get through because I want the whole message to come out. And I think we're going to get through the next part a little bit faster. And let's go on in verse 8. It says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I'm looking forward to the cool of today because it's hot. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And we'll stop there. Would you put the ace down, please? It says, Then the Lord God called. Like just then, they eat, they realize they're naked. We have to make a quick covering for ourselves. And all of a sudden they hear, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? 
Like just then. And how often does that happen? Just as we're about to sin or just as we sinned, we get a phone call. Maybe your boss walks in. Maybe your spouse comes in. And you're like, oh, hide, you know. Or maybe in high school you're having a party. And, oh, no, mom's home. Hide. Everyone hide, you know. Cover everything up, you know. I, you know, God is gracious, I think, sometimes. Let that happen to us. That it might be exposed and dealt with immediately and not totally corrupt us uh, forever. You know, Romans 3.20, uh, sorry, Numbers 32.23. But if you did not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. We've heard that a lot. Your sin finds you out. You can try and cover it all you want, but sin is too strong. Sin's too slippery. It's going to slip out of your hands. You know, it's like I, there were some snakes that fell in the, that were living, hibernating, I guess, in the little escape pit from the basement, like the egress thing. And I was trying to get them out with a, a rake because I didn't have anything else. And it's like the snake would slither through. So I had to really, like, scoop it up the side. It was just, it took a while because there was holes for it to get out. And that's the same thing with sin. We try and cover it, but it just slips through our fingers. And eventually it's going to rear its ugly head. Like, you can paint over rust on your car, but eventually it's going to bubble up and you'll know it's there. But God comes walking in the garden, and it must have been, I think, something that they must regularly do. God comes in the cool of the day, picture God walking, hey guys, you know, but they hide. They hear him and hide, you know? And that's not what they usually did. That's not what they usually did. When I come home, I could go to the store for two minutes, and I come in, and my kids are like, Daddy! And I think that that's awesome. They hear me come in, right? And they get so excited, and I do too. And that's good, and that's the way it probably was before this day. If I came home, and also, you know, especially if I came home from a long trip, and my kids didn't come running, I'd be like, where are you guys? You know, what's going on? But where are you? Where are you? You know, for some reason I thought of the Lord of the Rings. Like when Frodo has the ring, and he's in the one world, and then he slips on the ring, and he disappears in the one world, and shows up in the spiritual world, so to speak and he takes it off and appears. Um, it appears visible in different dimensions in a way. And I think that's similar here. Not that God couldn't see Adam and Eve, but they weren't where they were supposed to be. They had slipped down from the better dimension, in a sense, to this lower dimension. I'm not trying to get all sci-fi channel, but I'm thinking, you know, in a way, like, spiritually, we're supposed to be in this place of fellowship and communion with God, and physically, we're going to be there too. If we're in fellowship with God, we're what? We're going to fellowship with his people, Right? So if we're in fellowship with God and we fellowship with his people, we're going to be there. We're going to be at the spiritual events. We're going to want to go to church. We're going to try and go to church. We're going to try and do those things and be around other believers we want to. But when we start sinning, we're still a Christian. We're still physically there, but maybe we're not there at church anymore. Maybe we're at church, but we're checked out. We come in and we get out, and there's there's a gap there. We're not where we should be. And that's what's going on here, you know. They weren't where they were supposed to be. And I think sometimes when something is off, or a miss or wrong in a close relationship, you just know. You know, I remember having like relationships and stuff, like our relationship was fantastic. But like just think about like, you know, you just know like they're gonna break up with me, aren't they? <laughs> you know, like or uh, you know, I'm gonna break up with them, you know, it's like you just know something's wrong or you just even in a, a, a marriage relationship, it's like you know when you did something wrong, you don't ever have to do it, or you know if something's up, right? Like, honey, what's wrong? Oh nothing <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's more me than anything, but you know, I can think of like my kids. You know, we'll be out here and we'll hear them, and we know they're not in bed. So we say, "Are you in your bed?" I know he's not in his bed, but I'm revealing that to him. Maybe that he doesn't know that I know, but I'm reminding him in a way, like getting him to look at his situation 
oh, I'm not in my bed. <laughs> As if you forgot. <laughs> but I don't think he forgets all the time. You know, I'm putting the knowledge of where he is and where he should be in him, causing him to look at it. Um, you know, and God calls in verse 9 and 10. God calls and Adam responds. And I think eventually, perhaps God was calling and they hid. And God kept calling. And maybe he walked right up to the bush where they were hiding. Adam, where are you? You know, we play hide and seek with the kids and we know right where they are, but we walk around, you know, make it a game with them. And I think, not that God was making a game of this because it was serious, but I think God knew the whole time. He's like, Adam, just waiting for Adam to respond to him calling. And Adam says, probably right there, cowering in the bush, I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked. I was naked. You know, that Adam was naked, but now he feels like maybe he's covered himself enough. But I think in some way, God should never have to call us. There's probably something wrong in us if he is over and over. And I don't mean necessarily like the calling of God like, there's the calling of God in your life. I think that's a vocational calling, a life calling. You know, Jesus called to uh, the disciples and said, come follow me. I don't necessarily mean that. Um, in a way, I think it is, because, you know, if you have a relationship with God and you're walking with him, you're naturally going to start doing the things that he wants you to do. And if he's calling to you, maybe you're not where you're supposed to be. But I, I don't want to get too deeper uh, into that one. But I get that in the New Testament sense. But I think in a way, God shouldn't have to call us, but we should be wanting to be right where he is and be there at the expected time. Not in a military way. Up, oh, the, the horn's playing. It's time to be up in front of my drill sergeant. It's time to be at the mess hall. Not in that sort of way, but kind of like not out of duty or law or fear, but because we want to spend time with him. You know, it's like showing up for a date with someone you really like. You're going to be there. You're going to be on time. You're going to be showered and ready because you want to be there for them. And then, you know, if your date doesn't show up at all, you know, there's something wrong there. <laughs> you didn't get a text, you didn't get a phone call, you, hopefully there's nothing wrong with them, or maybe they're just, they don't like you anymore. That's a, that's a term now, apparently, ghosting. Is people go on a date, and then they don't like the other person, and they never tell them anything. They just never answer a text or never show up, and it's, they're gone, they're ghosted. You know, I saw a headline for an article, how to unghost someone. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, wow, all right. Yeah. But it's interesting that God says, who told you? And did you eat what I told you not to? You know, God knew that someone had to tell them that. You know, not what. You know, and I think that that's interesting too, that perhaps it wasn't just any serpent, and God knew that spiritually this was the devil. And Adam, in a way, blames God. He says, the woman you gave me. I mean, I don't know if he emphasized like that. Maybe it was just being factual. The woman you gave me, God. You know, uh, you know but in a way, he's still blaming God. The woman you gave me. You know, he points the finger at God and Eve. You know, I don't know that there's repentance there. So then God turns attention on Eve. Not that he's not going to deal with Adam, but he's got he's to get everyone to come clean at this point. And, what is, uh, and he says, what is this you have done? And she doesn't say she gave it to Adam, but she blames the serpent and says she ate. You know, she leaves out a little bit there. And she says she let the, the serpent deceive her. That The serpent deceived me. Well, what are you doing talking to him? <laughs> you know, there's a little more there. But uh, let's go on and read 14 through 19. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. 
and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then he said to Adam, uh, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. God here turns its attention to the serpent. It says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the beasts. He's the craftiest of them all, and now he's cursed of them all, the most cursed of them all. Um, you know, think about crooked cops going to jail, or uh, those who hurt children going to jail. Even the worst prisoners of other crimes hate these people and want to destroy them. You know, one, because they got arrested, and two, because it's like they just have this, this morality, in a sense. But that there's this punishment and consequence, a physical and a spiritual one. Physical, that he's, this, this serpent is now on his belly eating dust. And spiritually, that there's going to be hatred between the woman and the serpent and their offspring. I think both the physical creature and the spiritual creature, perhaps, this is what happened to dragons, the dinosaurs? I don't know. I'm just trying to think here, because if he's crawling on his belly now, what was he doing before? What was he lifted up before? Was it legs? Was it something else? I don't know. Maybe there was something different going on. Uh, you think about like alligators walking across the ground, they're, they're on the ground. But also the spiritual dragon, like a woman riding the beast in Revelation, there's consequences, that there's this spiritual offspring, this demonic offspring, so to speak, these people who follow the devil and also spiritual beings that are out there that followed him out of heaven are always going to be at war with the church. They're always going to want to destroy man, and man through the church, through Jesus, is always going to want to destroy them. There's going to be this war that's continually going on. You know, I think about the head being cut off of cults or dictatorships, like in Iraq, when we invaded Iraq originally in the 90s, all the guard began to flee, because they're like, no way. <laughs> they're going to come here, and then we did it, and we had to go back in and do it again. Um, but there's consequences. And that's like a military strategy. You always want to cut off the head of your enemy, because that's what's going to happen. And that's what the enemy does to the church, too. You know, when the, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter, and that's, the enemy's going to want to take out the one in charge. Same thing with the family. Same thing here with the relationship. The serpent got to Adam through Eve. For the woman, uh, greatly, multiple sorrow, uh, over and over, uh, the word multiple, it's really greatly twice. Greatly, greatly. And Jesus would do that. Like, verily, verily, I say to you. You know, but that her labor pain would be greatly increased. You know, I don't think it was ever intended to be so painful. I don't think it would be paradise if it was so painful to have kids. You know, even pregnancy was greatly increased. Maybe it was faster before the fall. I don't know. I'm just... Just thinking about it. You know, but pregnancy is hard from what I've heard and seen. I don't know personally, but I know that it's hard. My wife is pregnant in the summer a bunch of times, and that's no fun. But maybe it was easier to get pregnant then. You know, maybe it was. I don't know. I would think so. I would think that God wouldn't make it that hard when everything was perfect. You know, there's that saying, a woman's work is never finished. And that's part of her punishment here. You know, it's a pain to bring four children. There's joy at the end but that her work is always going to be going on. And that she's going to have a spiritual desire to rule over her husband, but he's going to rule over her. I mean, you look at the history of the world of women being oppressed. Even today, women have to wear full gowns because they're oppressed. They can't do anything without a man's approval. And man's going to rule over him. And not that that's a good thing, but that's an effect of the fall. And feminism doesn't fix that. Feminist just wants to flip that, where women are now the bosses and men are the slaves. But Christianity, through Jesus, brings a level playing field, brings equality between men and women. That there, There's no ruling over anymore, but there's watching over. 
And that's what a healthy relationship is. That's what God was trying to do, was to watch over them. But the serpent wanted to rule over them. You know, Adam, he heeded the voice of his wife. And not that you shouldn't listen to your wife. I try and listen to my wife. But I think the message is here that spiritually, when Adam knew what God had said, and Adam knew what God was right, and Eve told him differently, so to speak, he shouldn't have listened to Eve. He shouldn't have listened to her. You know, spiritually, he's supposed to lead, and he wasn't doing that. But God says, the earth is cursed to remind you, Adam, to teach Adam, to warn Adam, not to repeat the sin, the toil, just to eat, you know, before he just walked around and picked stuff, but now he has to work. It's a lifetime of labor just to live. You know, God says, even the ground's going to fight you. Thorns and thistles, weeds are going to be in the grow to fight you, to keep you working hard just to get what you need to get through the day. And let me tell you, sin affects everything. Everything. There's not one part of your life that will not be affected by sin. You know, you'll sweat till you die and return to the dirt you came from. But I think that graciously, God here doesn't nullify Adam's spiritual calling. Even though Adam wasn't there when God called, even though Adam sinned, I think God doesn't do it here, perhaps because he wasn't just he wasn't deceived, he was disobedient. And I think that that's, there's a difference there. You know, God is merciful in that way, to allow our gifts and calling to remain. Perhaps we won't carry them out in the best way God intended for us initially, but he still wants them carried out to the best we can do under the consequences that we might have to live with. You know, Romans 11.29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Not that Adam's sin was inexcusable, but even Eve, too. Eve still gets to bear children. There's just a weight behind it now. But Adam's calling was still there. was still there. Verse 20 through 24, and we're going to close out here. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to kill to till the ground, excuse me, from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, that sounds pretty cool, which he turned which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And we're gonna close out here in a minute, but I just I, I wanted to get the whole picture today in this because I felt stopping short of, of this finale here would really uh, cut short uh, God's intent. You know, Adam's last job in the garden was naming Eve. After the fall, he names Eve here. We see it written here in this order. You know, that she's the mother of all living. You know, sorry we didn't evolve. You know, she's the chicken and the egg. But she's the mother of all living. You know, God didn't forget about their covering either after he meted out their punishment and their consequence, after he dealt with their sin. You know, I think, what if they straight up repented then? Would things have been different? You know, would they remain in the garden? You know, I don't think so because sometimes it's just too late. Sometimes it's just too late. Sometimes the sin is just too great for certain things to be repaired. You know, even repentance won't change the consequence. My kids sometimes say sorry just to get out of the punishment. You know, just out of sitting in timeout, sorry. And then I say, well, thank you. I'm glad you're sorry. I do forgive you, but you need to stay here a little longer. And then they get upset. And it's like, and not upset like, oh, I'm so sorry. But like, why am I still here? You know, I'm like, that's because you're not really sorry yet. But you know, 1 John 5, 16-17 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say they should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. Um, you know, not that there is any sin that doesn't bear the fruits of death eventually in your life. But when serious sin is involved, we need to act, not just to pray. 
You know, if my kids are running in the street, I'm not just going to pray, God, get them out of the street. I'm going to run and get them. If someone breaks in my house at night, I'm not going to pray, God, please get them out of my house. I'm going to pray that as I'm loading my shotgun. <laughs> God, get them out of my house before I have to shoot them. <laughs> because I'm not just going to sit there and let them do what they want. You know, at some point, God is going to deal with it. If we see someone sinning and it's not one of those major sins, we should pray about it. Maybe God will use us to, to fix it. Maybe not. But, you know, we don't need to go around, like, chopping everyone and throwing everyone out of the garden for every little thing. But it says that God made them tunics out of skin. And I'm sure God could have just spoken it and it would have come to be. Uh, but seeing how the Bible shows things, uses them as an example, we see Jesus being our first high priest. He's uh, killing and sacrificing this animal for their sin offering and making them um, a covering out of the skin, weaving together the perfect outfit to cover their shame and to protect their frailty. I want to share with you something. You know, uh, the, to, to look at this from God's perspective. You know, Ashley and I were talking about this uh, recently. You know, uh, we were in worship. I read this a couple weeks ago, and we were in worship. And I'm not going to say it was like a vision from God, but I just you know began to picture just God in the garden. You know, picture Jesus, holy God, walking in the garden, out for a walk. It's the cool of the day. Looking forward to spending time with Adam and Eve. And he calls to them, and they're not there. And he finds them doing, hiding. He has to deal with their sin. He has to bring judgment upon them. Instead of, I'm sure he wanted to bless them that night. You know, maybe even had candy in his pocket, so to speak. You know, like a grandpa coming over, you know. But he's not able to, to bless them there. And, and what does God do? God begins to, to get down after he's judged them. And he begins to take an animal. This is a long process. Take an animal, to kill the animal, to sacrifice the animal. To, to skin it, to make a covering for them that would fit them and come over and he, he covers them, he gives it to them. You know, it's like, it's just a couple of words, but I think sometimes we miss the big picture here. This is God actually doing this. They sin, they screwed up. And what is God doing? God's the one down there getting all dirty to make sure that they're covered again, that he gave them a covering and they blew it, but he wants to cover them again. He wants that relationship restored again. And from there, he begins to see man, they can't come back in here. Like, let me think about this. Like, God's talking with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father, and he goes, they know good and evil now. If, if they eat from that other tree, they're going to be in big trouble. They're, you know, I'm not going to be able to bring them back here. I'm not going to be able to save them if they eat that tree. So I need to keep them out. You know, I have to kick them out now. It's like, you know, you have your kids, and they do something. Maybe you want to make a covering for them, and maybe you do, but maybe you can't let them back in the house. And I shudder the thought of that, my kids ever doing something like that. Like, I always want to welcome them in, but maybe maybe if they stay here, they're not going to get better. Maybe they need to go to rehab. Maybe they need to have tough love, so to speak, you know, and, and really know that, man, I love them, but if they stay here, they're never going to get better. They're never going to get fixed. They need to experience it. And I think sometimes, you know, the world preaches love, 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 tolerance, but they never deal with, this, they never deal with the sin because it's not love. You know, Hebrews 4 talks about a great high priest who passed through the heavens. It's Jesus. He, know, he sympathized with our weakness, and he wants to give us mercy. Hebrews seven fifteen through 19, you know, Jesus came in the likeness of Melchizedek, a high priest forever. And it says here, for the law made nothing perfect, in verse 19, but on the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. God still wanted them to draw near, and God would make another way for them to draw near through the sacrificial system and eventually the sacrifice of his son. You know, God would do anything to get back to that night in the garden 
and just have that talk and that communion with him. And that's what God wants for us. He wants that uh, opportunity for us to be with him. Man, I think we miss that. I think we miss that in our own lives. I think we miss that in church as a whole lot of times. I'm not saying any one specific church, but I think, you know, in my observations and experiences of church over my life and, and being around, it's like I think sometimes we miss that as a whole, you know. That man, we're coming, to, we're coming to church to meet with God. We're not coming to church just to hang out or just to hear a message. It's like, are we meeting with God when we're there? And if we're not, I think there's a, there's a problem. And if we're trying to meet with God there and God's not there, then we need to go. We need to go somewhere else. And I'm glad we have someone invented windows to keep the outside out because there's a big wasp up there. <laughs> but interesting, as we close here, we see that God is doing work on the Sabbath since the beginning. God finished his creation in a sense. This, in a way, is like the Sabbath day. He's done making things. And yet, what is he doing? He's down making coverings. He's down covering them up. You know, we think about the withered hand healing or getting a donkey out of a ditch, Jesus would talk about. Even, you know, who's, which one of you on the Sabbath is not going to do that? I think we've had that all along. We miss it. We forget it. We doubt it. Or we ignore it. Or we disregard it. But what we're really disregarding and ignoring is him. You know, Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, that God wants to meet with us. God is the one we're hurting. God is the one we're grieving. You know, when we go out and do our sin, it's hurting us, but man, it's hurting God too. And it's, God doesn't want us to come back and fix it all up. He just wants us to come to him. And like the song said, he meets us where they are. I believe he walk, God walked right over to Adam. Adam, you know, God didn't wait there and say, Adam, get over here. He went to Adam. And God has to, you know, like I said, come to the logical conclusion here that they can't go back in, they can't stay in. So God puts cherubim there, and it says, and a flaming sword was turned each way. I don't know, I don't know if they held the, the sword, or if it's the cherubim there, and there's this awesome sword, this lightsaber spinning around, I don't know. But it's interesting that these things guard the way to the tree of life. You know, and that's interesting, that they guard the way to the tree of life. And what does Paul say in the scriptures? That the law is a tutor guiding us and directing us to the need for a savior, a schoolmaster, guiding us to the truth. And I tell you, the Bible guards our way to the tree of life. That there's only one way to the tree of life, and that's through Jesus. The Bible guards our way, brings us to Jesus, and when we go through Jesus, we get to eat the tree of life in heaven. And as we close, Revelation 22, 1-6, And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb, in the middle of its street. And on each side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding um, its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were the, for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God and the Holy Prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. That God still guards the way to the tree of life. God wants us to get back to the garden, so to speak, in heaven and eat from that tree forever with him. And, and that's important. But I think, too, that Adam and Eve, you know, they stopped short. They stopped short of God's best for them. There was another, there was a better tree waiting for them that they could eat freely of for eternity. They could eat of the tree of life, but they stop short. You know, it's like, you're on a long trip, and you're really hungry, and you go, oh, well, there's this rest stop, so I'll stop here, and you get something, and it's not, it's like greasy, and then you realize, like the next rest stop off the road, there was a much better restaurant, you could have sat and ate, and you're like, why did I eat that? You know, it's like, <laughs> we do it all the time. 
uh, it's convenience. But God doesn't want us to stop short. God wants us to go all the way in this life and in the next life, and He wants to do uh, to do it with Him. He doesn't want us. He doesn't want us taking anyone else's advice. He wants us taking His advice for our life because He made it. Amen. Amen. Uh, Father, thank you for Your Word. Thank you, God, more than that, in a way, for you. And God, you are truth. You are the word, Lord Jesus. And God, please guard our way. Please guide our way. Please help us go your way and not turn to the left or the right, but to go straight towards you and, and not seek out things, not seek out some fruit that's good to eat or looks good and settle short, even if it's a good thing, like seeking out uh, a marriage or a ministry or anything of that nature, but God, just seeking you out. And as we seek you out, you're going to bring us to the tree of life where we can freely eat. So we pray that, and we pray that people would see that, that people would come and eat and uh, and be forgiven and covered by you, that they may eat uh, freely and, and not under a false freedom. God, we love you and we thank you for that. Guard our minds and hearts and our kids and our friends and, and all those things, God. But most of all, help us walk with you uh, every day when you call for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And anyway, thanks, guys, for going long on that.